0: Let me talk about this, James chapter 2, James chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 14 today, I want to talk to you about faith, and not just faith, but I want to talk to you about a faith that actually works, okay? So in in James chapter 2, in verse 14, if you'll keep the context here, James is writing to these 12 tribes that have been dispersed, uh, persecution has come the Jews have spread out all over the place and they're, they're have to they've been removed from their homeland uh, they were persecuted in their own homeland does that sound very familiar to probably what you've seen on the news in the last 24 hours uh, so they, they've been persecuted and they had to be kicked out and so James is writing them because they're, they're definitely going through times of trials and through times of suffering he spends all of chapter 1 talking about the trials and everything that they had gone through and how to, to persevere to be steadfast through the trials, to see the trials that you go through as a positive, that God will use the trial to strengthen you, to make you stronger. And then last week we talked about even in the trial to be very careful because we can have a desire to sin, right? That's our human nature. I tell people often, like, if you were taking a test and I had left all the answers on the board... And I said, oh, I forgot all the answers to the test are on the board. I'm going to need you to just don't look at I don't have time to erase it, but don't look at it. Just keep your heads down and take your test. Now, be honest. How many of you are looking at the, at the board with the answers? Okay, everybody else is lying because everybody else is going to pop their head up at least one time to see what's going on. And, and so he's talking that, that our, our natural bent and desire is to do things that we want to do that often lead us off the path into sin. And we talked about John Owen's quote is that you have to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It's got to be intentional. We don't play around with it. We don't treat it as a, a house pet because sin will ruin everything. And so he, he digs through chapter 1, warning us of the trials, warning us of our desires to sin. But now what he wants to do is warn us of something else. He wants to warn us not to get comfortable. Because how many of you know in church settings we tend to get very comfortable And if we don't stay on missions, we will become a country club where we gather for comfort and a good time and then leave with nothing being accomplished. So look what he says in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith, but he does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warned, and be filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, that faith is, say it with me, what is it? It is dead. So how would you finish this statement? Don't answer it out loud because I want you to process it. But how would you finish the statement? Most Christians are blank. Something popped in your head. Hold that thought for a second. Because when we read the book of James, and we, if, we, if we're filling in this blank using the book of James... The book of James tells us that most Christians are, it should say, things like steadfast, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, doers of the word, caring for the least of these, full of mercy. Would you agree that those are the things that should be in the blank when people think about Christians? I mean, those, all those things sound great, but did you know that most studies show that people would complete this sentence by saying this, most Christians are Hypocrites. How many of that word was in your head? Most people would say that when I think about Christians, I think about hypocrisy. That is not good because when they think about Christians, what their thought process should be, these are the most loving, caring, merciful, believes in what they believe, does what they say they're going to do. These should be the identifiers. They look like jesus did you know that the early church did not give themselves the name christians they were called followers of anybody followers of the way it's not until later in the book of acts that the gentiles begin calling them christians because they, they looked like little Jesuses run around it, it was the early church that when pandemics broke out and people were dying that the romans fled But the early church stayed back to care for those that didn't even belong to them. It was the Romans who would have children and when they didn't want a baby, they would take that baby girl and they would just stick her outside the fences of Rome to let that child die because they they wanted males. And it was the early church, the believers, that would come in and begin to adopt these Gentile Roman children. And that's what they were marked by. But in today's society, Most of the time, Christians are marked by hypocrisy. There was a Barna Group research. Uh, They they did this research, and they asked non-Christians. They wanted to know the non-Christians' perception of of a Christian. Like, what do you see when you think about Christians? Did you know 87% said that Christians are judgmental? I can see that. Very judgmental. Said 85% are hypocritical. And 78%, they believe that 78% of all Christians are out of touch with reality, right? And, and those typically are the crazy ones. They're like Satan's in the bush when I came in the church this morning. Those are kind of the out-of-touch folks. That is a far cry from what James said that you and I are supposed to be. This is, this is somebody's perception, and often somebody's perception is the reality, Right? That they, they would say that when I look at Christians, I believe that 87% of them are judgmental. I believe that 85% of them are, hypocris- uh, are hypocrites that practice hypocrisy. I believe that 78% of them are out of touch. You have people that are saying that they follow Jesus, but on the other hand, you have some people who live lives that show no evidence of a Jesus follower. So what do you do with that? For some people, they'll just change their belief system in today's society, we call it deconstructing. I'll just deconstruct my faith. I don't like the faith that I grew up with. I'll deconstruct it. Now, I will tell you, I have no issue with people that deconstruct their faith as long as they're building it back on the foundation of Jesus. But what is happening is, they're not building it back on the foundation of Jesus. They are tearing it down, building it on something else. It's a a sand foundation that they're trying to build on, and it will eventually fall. Because the way that they were brought up in church, the things that they read in the scripture do not look like the things that they saw the church living out. And it made it really difficult for them to figure out what it is that they needed to be doing. And so what do we do with that? Because when people begin to deconstruct and they begin to change because they're witnessing the hypocrisy of the church. And listen, I don't think that it's that the people that deconstruct hate Jesus. I think they just don't like his church. I think they love the Jesus because what we're finding in the research is that non-Christians are seeking Jesus, not his church. And the problem is, if you have Jesus, you also need to have his church because you need to have a love for his church because Jesus gave his life for his church. So we got a church problem. Would you agree with that? We got a church problem. And and typically this happens more in the South than it does anywhere because we have cultural Christianity. Christianity where we go to church a couple of times, like this place will be full, no offense, but it'll be full on Christmas Eve, right? Excuse me, not this place. Uh, that place over there will be full on Christmas Eve. It'll be full on Easter. It'll be low on Father's Day. Why? Not why is it low on Father's Day. We know why that is, but why, why is it like that? Because it's a cultural thing. If I just check this off my list that I went to church, I'm a, I'm a good person. Y'all heard Southerners say that? Like I've been at some funerals, and I've heard them describing people, and I'm like, I don't, I don't think that's the same person. I don't, how much did you pay this guy? Y'all, y'all ever been there? Okay. And I felt bad about saying that, but then some of you agreed now I don't feel as bad. I had a friend of mine one time I was talking to my wife about it this weekend that he worked at his first church he worked at was trying to get a bump in his student ministry budget and they said we don't have any money we'll have to take it from somewhere else he said well we have a cemetery fund can we pull it out of the cemetery fund they said no we need that and the cemetery fund was double that of the youth ministry so his response was why can't we take it from that half those people aren't in heaven anyway so he doesn't work at that church anymore Um, but I appreciate him not being a, a hypocrite And so what happens is that when we practice hypocrisy, and, and we'll, we'll come up with things like we'll begin to compartmentalize our faith. On Sunday, this is what I do. On Sunday I'm going to come in here. I'm going to participate in the Christian karaoke. We put the, the words on the screen and we get to sing together and then we're going to talk and we're going to have coffee and we're going to do all these things and then I'm going to walk out of the door and I'm going right back to what I was Monday to Saturday because I have a different mask that I wear Monday to Saturday. Monday to Saturday, I can be rude with people. I don't really care about this book. I don't sing anything. I I, don't, I drink a different kind of coffee, but I don't, I don't do anything that I do on Sunday, Monday to Friday. I look just like the people that I work with. I look just like the people that, that I'm surrounded with, but I don't look like what I'm supposed to look like outside. He is a God of Sunday morning. And that's, that's become the issue because it doesn't, it doesn't add up. And so we compartmentalize and play the parts. And if your life bears nothing noticeably different than your non-Christian coworker, we have an issue. We have an issue. Look at verses 14 through 26. These are probably, uh, they would be considered very controversial verses um, in the book of James. Uh, but when you, you look at this whole passage, people would think, well, this whole passage is built around like your faith versus your works, but it's not. This whole passage is about a kind of faith that will save you and a kind of faith that will not save you. So in verse, verse 14, he says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works, can that faith save him? Very good question. James is pointing it out. Can a person, can they have faith but not works, or can they have works and not faith? Let me give you some definitions here. When we say faith, faith is just a belief in action. You've got to add that part to it. It's an action. It's actually doing something. So faith is a belief in action. Okay, You following me? Another way to say that is head knowledge becomes faith once it's acted upon in obedience. So what about works? Well, the Greek here is really difficult because it means this. It's just deeds. It ain't nothing fancy. He wasn't trying to be fancy with what he was writing here. He says that works literally are your deeds. It's your labor. It's the things that you do. Okay? You got to understand that. There, there's nothing tricky there. It's, it's acts, labor, what you do so if we put those definitions together james is asking this question what good is it to say that i'm a follower of jesus but then not actually follow jesus in anything that jesus has asked me to do we call it being a christ follower right what does it mean to follow (laughs) to follow right it means to follow There, there is a a journey that we take to follow and so the question is can, can that kind of faith save a person? And Paul will say this in 2 Corinthians in chapter 13. He says, Examine yourselves. See, we're really good about examining other people. I can point your flaws out in a heartbeat. It's a lot more difficult for me to point my flaws out because it's a lot more painful. And, and uh, I was meeting with someone one time and they said, You know what you got to do? You got to learn to tell yourself the truth. That when you get so brazen towards other people's sin, it just says that you haven't really dealt with yours. Because you're more concerned about watching other people and their failures, that you've never come to terms with your guilt and your sin. So he says the first thing you need to do, you need to examine yourself. You need to stop worrying about everybody else and what everybody else is doing. You need to examine yourself, check yourself. He said, so you examine yourself to see whether you are in faith test yourselves examine and test it put it to work see what happens we're going to put ourselves on trial you're going to scrutinize yourself you're going to question yourself you're going to look for these evidences to try to determine is this genuine is this in my genuine faith or is it just about me is it just about my wants my needs I'm trying to I'm trying to get something maybe I didn't get from somewhere else and I'm trying to make myself feel better James is diagnosing that we need to be cured of this faith works fiasco that we have found ourselves in. And and we need to cure ourselves of the compartmentalization of on Sunday, I act this way, but Monday to Saturday, I'm a completely different person that looks nothing like Jesus. So how do we reconcile someone who declares one thing about their faith in Jesus but their life demonstrates something totally different. Because I know us, somebody's popped in your head, there's a name or a face that's already popped in in your mind. So, so how do you deal with that? Well, first I would tell you, you've got to examine yourself before you jump on somebody else. And so in these passages, James shows us there's three types of faith. The first two faiths he shows us are false faiths. And the last one is a true saving faith. If you'll, if you'll look at verse 15, he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily food. And one of you says to them, hey, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if that does not work, is dead. If It does not have works. As your faith does not have works, it is dead. So James is asking, what good is it for you to identify a need and then not meet it? Right? Thoughts and prayers. I, you're in my thoughts and prayer. Well, that's not going to do a whole lot right? I mean, it's good that you pray for things. Don't get me wrong. But when that's our answer for everything, there is no action to that. Because let's be honest, we'll tell some people, I'll be praying for you this week, and then we see them next Sunday, and it's like, oh my goodness, I forgot to pray for them all week. Anybody been there? This is time to be really truthful and examine yourself, right? It's good. It's okay to pray for people on the spot, by the way. But our words are good, but if they're not followed by anything, Thoughts and prayers aren't going to keep people warm and feed, feed the poor, right? Like sentiments don't help starving people. In the same way, he's saying faith, that's just words, doesn't do any good. And words that are empty, if there's no action to back them up, they are no good. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. James says that it, it doesn't serve other people and it certainly will not save you. When you have no faith behind your works, you can believe the right things, you can have the right intentions, you can have good intentions, but that's not the sum total of being a Christian at all. In other areas of life, if we treated faith this way, it's just like we kind of just applied words to it, but no works. Do you think it would work? Because for some reason, faith is our, our, our relationship with Jesus is the only place that we would apply this kind of principle of I'm gonna talk all these things, but I'm not gonna do anything. Let's have some fun for a second. Let's apply this concept to other areas of your life that where you can have the right understanding and the good intentions, but it will not be significant enough. You ready with me? Relationships. If you said this, I don't understand why you're so upset, honey. I know I had every intention of getting you an anniversary gift, and I even added it as a reminder in my phone isn't that good enough would you apply faith into that how's that going to go for you all right so you're gonna end up in marriage counseling so let's start there right but I had good intentions but where was the action behind that what about physical fitness how many of you bought a piece of exercise equipment you bought a gym membership maybe used it for a month and you haven't touched it since anybody Oh, okay. I bought a Bowflex one time because I got a good deal on it because I was going to work out, right? Um, It sat in my garage. It collected dust. And then I realized that the little Bowflex things with with hangers could hang on them perfectly. So I started hanging stuff on it. and, um, And it was in the way. And I had really good intentions, though. I walked by it every single day. I looked at it every single day. I physically put things on it. I never put myself on it, but I physically put things on it. And then when it was in the way, and it was just a piece of junk in the garage, and my wife's like, you need to get rid of it. I'm like, but my intentions were good. Was that going to work out? What about in your finances? How well will it go over if you called the credit card company, your mortgage company, and you told them that I intended to pay my bill this month? I thought about it. I prayed about it. I even wrote the check, but I don't have enough money to do it. You think they'll give you a pass on your good intentions? No. Why do we treat Jesus like that? Like, but Jesus, I went to church this morning. Well, that's cool. I prayed. That's, that's nice. Did you, I sing a little bit louder this week. Oh, oh, trust me, I know. Like, but where's the action? Y'all, we're not going to be at a place when we get to heaven and he's going to ask us to list all of the things that we've done. Like, did, did, you, did you have perfect attendance in Sunday school? Did you attend this? Did you go to that? Did you pray this? Did you give this? Those things are great, but they're byproducts of the relationship with Jesus. And a lot of times we miss that. We, we focus so much on the work that we miss the relationship. So when we see this word faith, that has no interest in the Bible. It has no, no zeal for, for seeing people that are unsaved become saved. It, it doesn't see any people that, are, that become disciple makers. There's no call to live a holy life. There's no desire to, to spend time in prayer. There's no concern for the poor. There's no love for other people. If this is you, I would, I would say you need to examine yourself. To see, to see where you're truly at. Because the diagnosis would be this. James would say the diagnosis there would be dead faith. It's not doing anything. And you can't call yourself a Jesus follower if you don't actually follow Jesus anywhere. You can't. So you could say it this way. If you look like the world and play like the world and talk like the world, then you're probably of this world. And we don't stand a chance to advance the gospel of Jesus when I'm trying to represent myself and bear my image instead of bearing the image of Jesus. We don't stand a chance. So look what James says. James knows that he's like poking at these people because they're already going through some hard times and trials, but he decided let's just jab them a little bit. And he says it because he wants them to be better. And he anticipates that when he says these things, there's going to be an objection. But look at all this stuff we've done. It's always, you ever been in those conversations with people and they begin telling you their, their resume of all the good things they've done at the church or for Jesus? He says this, but someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And the objection here is he anticipates that someone's going to say, James, some people might be more works-driven and some people might be more faith-driven and you got to be happy with whatever you get. You you, got to understand that some people are going to be the faith folks and some people are going to be the works folks, but they're going to be separated. They're not going to be the same thing. Both are going to be Christians James, let's not be harsh because you're drawing this little line in the sand here, and James doesn't even hesitate in his response when he says, nope, because your saving faith will be validated by your works, by the things that you do. Jesus kind of brings this up in Matthew chapter 7 when he's talking about another person's works will verify their faith. He says this, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Thus, you will recognize them by their what? Who's the they that we will recognize? Other believers. Right? You will recognize people, if they're a believer or not, by their fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Did I miss one? It was not very good on remembering song lyrics. And yes, this is a Bible verse, but I remembered it because in Sunday school we sing it as a song. So James is like, hey, you can't be a Christian in name only if you haven't jumped in the pool and haven't fully trusted Jesus. You you can't just go by name only because no works equals dead faith. If you're not doing anything, that is dead faith, dead on arrival. And what do dead people do? Nothing, and so will your faith. If you're not doing anything. So just like this examination, you know how you gotta go in for, you go in for one thing, When you go to your medical exam and then but when you leave they end up finding a bunch of other stuff that's wrong with you right like i went to have a tv test one time and they came back that i was about to die i felt because i had like heart issues and uh, i had uh, high blood pressure my breathing was was rapid but they were about to stick me with a needle and they checked my blood pressure and my breathing before they stuck me with a needle i do not like needles anybody else in that that train and so I have what they call white coat syndrome where I automatically panic when I see a doctor or a nurse walk into the room because um, it's worst case scenario for me when they come in the room because I don't think that when I go in there for a TV test that it's going to be a TV test. They're going to find everything else wrong and I'm going to end up in ICU before I leave this room. Anybody else have that kind of issue? Because then they check everything after the fact. It's like, oh no, everything is good. You're all good. It's like, of course, because you scare me. And we go in and we think that you're going to find one thing and then they find a bunch of other stuff. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening, who James is writing. Like, he says we need to address it all. Like you think it's one thing, but there's a lot of things. You've got to get to the root of all of these things. So I know probably where some of your thoughts are, just to clear up any confusion, is maybe you're thinking, "Well, I thought, I thought the gospel message was that Jesus did everything for me and there's nothing that I can do. And you would be right in saying that. And now you're probably thinking, well, now I hear you saying that I have to have good works to be saved. I'm confused. Anybody there? Let me help you. Here's the contradiction. This is what people call a supposed contradiction in the scripture. So in James chapter two, it says, you see that a person is justified by what? Works and not by faith alone. All right, this is what James says. Now, Paul writes to the Romans, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Sounds like these two guys are working against each other. Like Paul's like, hey man, I like what you wrote, but I I like it better this way. Like, so are these two passages contradicting each other? Who's right? Is James right? Or is Paul right? Do they contradict each other? But one of the Bible reading principles that you've got to understand is you have to interpret hard verses with easy verses. So at face value these look like they're contradicting but i can promise you one thing james and paul are not contradicting one another we should see them they're on the same side fighting back to back against different enemies that are coming up against the gospel they're fighting for the preservation of the gospel remember they have been spread they're apart they're trying to hold things together with the gospel because it's the glue and so saved by grace through faith alone is paul but Not by a faith that remains alone is James. So here's where it's at. Even Paul would go on to say in Ephesians that you're created in Christ Jesus for good works. And then he would say the same thing in his letter to the Galatians, that it's faith working through love. So what they're doing is saying, you got to have both. Because Paul's audience were saying, nah man, it's just all faith, it's real good. And then James is saying, no, 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 you got to do some work. And he's trying to bridge these two pieces, that it's faith and in, in work. So, so here, you have a dead faith. And a dead faith is a faith that believes the right thing, but it doesn't do anything about the right things. So in verse 19, he says this, you believe that God is one and you do well. That's a good job. Congratulations. But even the demons believe and shudder. You may not know this, but demons have a very strong belief in God. They're not atheists. They're not agnostic. They're way more scholarly and theologically than we are. They know. Why do you think every time that Jesus comes into the presence of demons that they begin begging for their lives? They're scared of him. Please do not cast me into the water. Please do not cast me. Just throw me into the pigs. These are the kind of things... That the demons do, they they say these things because they believe it's more. To, it, it's not like they just intellectually know that God is real and powerful. They believe in Jesus and they believe that He's the a son, a son of God. Demons have a a, a a better faith than a dead faith. Their faith is much more than ours for the most of the times, because not only do they believe in the right things, but they're even emotionally impacted by Jesus. How how would I say that? Because it says that the demons did what? Shudder. That's an emotion. There's a fear and trembling that happens. Their, their emotion is impacted by their belief because they shudder. Demon faith is what we'll call this. Demon faith is that the type of faith that believes the right thing and has an emotional response to it. I believe, but there's an emotional response. In other words, you know a lot about the Savior, but you don't personally know Him. You don't personally know Him. Demon faith knows the right things. It fills the right things. It stuffs all of that down, and in no way does that affect the obedience unto the Lord. Like, I know these things. It's it's having a, a lot of head knowledge, but not knowing what to do with that. Because, listen, we can come up here and we can study theology. Theology is super important. Doctrine is super important, and, and I could talk to you about those things all day. But if there is no obedience, all you are is an overeducated person that's changing nothing. We would call that legalism. But you know all the right things, and you don't mind telling other people the right things to do, but you will not do any of those things. So he says in verse twenty, "Do you want to be shown, your foolish people, your foolish person, that faith apart from works is?" useless was not abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son isaac y'all know abraham don't want to get into all that he was called he was very obedient um father abraham had many sons many sons had father abraham another another children song that we used to sing and, and he says i want you to take your son isaac i want you to walk up that mountain i want you to take some sticks you're going to sacrifice your son on the altar which we now know from genesis when we read the book of matthew and in the gospels it's the same mountain that jesus walked up to mount moriah that would be crucified, carrying two sticks on his back. And he's saying that Abraham was faithful and obedient in those things. But watch what the Bible says here. That Abraham was justified by his works when he offered up his son Isaac. In verse 22, he says, You see, that faith was active long, along with his works. The faith was completed by his works. He, he, he has always been faithful, and believed. But the moment that he had to put that faith to action, he says that he was justified by that. So, Abraham has a dynamic faith a faith that has a belief, it has a conviction, it has an emotion, and it has an action. It has, let me say it one more time for you a dynamic faith is a belief, a conviction, an emotion, and an action. And when we have that kind of faith, things are going the way they're supposed to be going according to the Scriptures. Without faith, all of us have a bank account that is insufficient. Like, it doesn't matter. We can't pull from it. There's no funds to purchase salvation. But then that righteousness, that saving dynamic faith is verified by this act of Jesus sacrificing His Son. So it says we don't have... A faith of works we don't have a faith of works as believers we have a faith that does work it does work because I believe and by my my experiences of being with God and hearing from God and spending time with God I want to do these things I want to do these works remember James is saying here in, in verse 24 he says you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone James uses this word justified as, as saying this is righteous, like this person has been declared righteous. That's the dynamic faith when God can look at you and go, this person, man, he is declared righteous. And just to make sure he, he knows that we understand, he says this in verse 25, and in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute for as the body apart from the spirit is dead. So also faith apart from your works is dead. He brings Rahab into it. Cause he's like, you, you can look at Rahab. She was a prostitute, but she believed in God. And then her actions You know, Rahab found herself in the genealogy of Jesus because of her faith. I would tell you this morning that we're all sinners. We agree with that? We can I mean that's our common ground. Nobody in here believes. I hope you don't. And if you do, let me just crush your dreams. But we're all sinners. We're all sinners. And if you have no desire to obey God, you have no conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life, you have no real love for other people, if you see people as just a a means to an end of you and what you want, then you need to stop calling yourself a Christian because you're not one. Because those aren't the works. All of those things are evidence that you have not received Jesus into your life. And I don't care if you prayed a prayer, if you were baptized when you were eight years old, if you, grandma tells you, I remember when you did this, and you've never, and you can be in church your whole life, but if you have no desire to work out your salvation by being obedient to the things that God calls you to, you're not a Christian. So I want to ask you this question. Based on this faith versus works, if you were to go on trial today for being a Christian, if being a Christian were illegal, would there be enough evidence in your life to get you arrested, to get you tried, and to get you convicted beyond all reasonable doubt? I believe there's a day that's coming but we probably will physically all stand before that, that it will be illegal. What, what would the evidence suggest in your life based on those things? So you got one or two things you need to do this morning and figure, figure out what the Spirit's saying to you. But if you've made these proclamations, I'm a believer, I'm a believer, but there is no works outside of that. You need to activate your faith by doing the works. And if you're going, I do all these things, but there is no relationship with God. It's not by faith. I'm not spending time with him. I'm not in his word. I'm not. Then these things, as Paul says, are just rubbish. Because it's faith that activates the works. I love Jesus, I do these things. Like, I hear people say, we we can't get people to volunteer in our church. How do we do these volunteer sign-ups and get all these? Uh, You teach them to love Jesus. Because when they love Jesus, they serve as church. Well, how do you get people to share the gospel? Well, you teach them how to love Jesus because when they love Jesus, they learn how to talk about him with other people because he's made a change for them. Well, how do I help people in their marriage? You teach them to love Jesus because until they love Jesus, they can't learn how to submit to one another and they can't love Christ as Christ loved the church because they don't know Jesus. You understand everything is a gospel issue. If we'll just teach people to love Jesus and live out our faith, we're not gonna do it perfectly. Can we all agree there? I wish, but hey, it ain't gonna happen. But there'll be a day where all this will be gone because we'll be standing in the presence of jesus so my challenge to you today is to hear from the spirit and ask yourself is my faith active am i living out my faith or am i just a bunch of talk right i I played on a couple of teams i played a soccer team in high school and we were like oh and 21 like we were awful but we wanted trash talking Like, I would talk some trash to guys who's like, dude, we're up 15 to nothing. I don't care. I would just talk it, but there was no action behind it whatsoever because the scoreboard said 15 to nothing. That's a soccer score, by the way, not not a football score. That's soccer. And I just want you to, to, to ask yourself this morning, too, like, am I all talk? Am I all talk, or am I living out my faith? One of the places that you can live out your faith is just by getting in a life group with other people just being with other people to work out your faith. Because you cannot do this by yourself. You need other people to help you and walk it. Right? That's one of the most important things that you can do is getting yourself in a group with other people who love you and will push you to become more like Jesus. I want to pray for you this morning. Our team's going to come and we're going to sing. Father, thank you so much that it was by your works that we, we've been saved. But God, I pray that our, our love for you would drive us to want to do these things. That God, if, if we're not serving in any capacity, inside the church or outside the church, if we're not sharing the gospel, if we're not in the scripture, if we're not praying, God, I, I pray that we would, we would get alone and talk to you and hear from you and that you would heal our hearts to make our desires the things of you and not of our own selves our sinful desires so god as we sing now i just pray that we would lift our praises to you and that you would be glorified in all things and i pray these things in your name amen and amen would you stand and let's sing